Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer. We are back, and we're literally getting the original band back together. Because... Yay! Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Joining Eric Smith and myself is the lovely and talented and original uh, Miss Barbreece. That's me. Hello. <laughs> the original Fab Three. Um, so, guys, I'm, I want to thank you guys I'm for. I'm Ringo. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're the Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Does this mean I'm John? No. Which one would I be? I'd be Paul. I think I'd be Paul. I think you'd make a good Paul. Because uh, he looks like Clyde Barker. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I my singing Clyde Barker look alike when I was younger. I don't know why. It was kind of sad. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Later on, I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, the be Beatles here. are a good band. But yeah, they he, Paul looked like Clive, so that was why I liked him. <clears throat> anyway, that was my weird childhood. <laughs> um, so we're th- the band is back together. It's going to be a great episode. I'm really excited. Um, we have a great interview segment at the end of the episode with Mr. Gary Scheiman, who is the composer of the music for Bioshock. And the upcoming Shadow of War Middle Earth game, which not only that, the guy, I don't know if you, um, Eric or Barb, if you remember a really beautiful, cool video that was around on YouTube a few years back called, um, I think it's Where the Hell is Gary or Where the Hell is uh, uh, Matt? I don't know where I got Gary from. Oh, yeah, because that's his name. Where the hell is Matt? Where you'd see this guy just start doing this goofy dance in every one, like all these different countries. And all of a sudden, all these people would join him in his goofy little dance. And it was really touching. And this beautiful song was playing. um, And the song was called Prawn. And Gary Simon wrote that and composed it. Um, And if you haven't seen Where the Hell is Matt, you really should watch it. It's a really, really cool, beautiful video. I actually cry every time I watch it. It's really neat. but Gary not only did all of this, but he also uh, he wrote the music for A Team, the original series. Oh wow! The A Team, cool. Magnum PI. He worked on that. Um, he he's been he's done a lot of everything. Like it's it's crazy the stuff that this guy has done, and uh, it was really fun to talk to him. We had a really good time, uh, and I actually got some fan questions asked. Um, so, because we had a couple submitted, one from Jessica McHugh and one from Draven Lehman, who I have known since he was a little, little boy. And he is like one of the biggest Bioshock fans I know. So I had to uh, ask a question for Draven. Um, cool. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun, interesting. Uh, I, I, we haven't had a lot of composers on this show, if any. Right. And, so it was kind of neat to have a composer because I'd like picking brains of people that have bits and pieces of things that they uh that come together in these uh like films and and all of that and the music is a huge part especially with video games right because yeah. sitting there clicking away for hours and if the music sucks you're not going to want to play it that's true you lose interest very quickly if the music doesn't keep you engaged yes so. or repetitive and annoying as hell like some of the games I've played yes <laughs> or my but, children uh, play so I'm like I'm with you there so I'm oh, just like okay oh my god yeah and we just got a Nintendo Switch so 
Um, I can tell you for a fact that if some of these things, then you don't want to play them. If they're, yeah, <laughs> they're just not good. Um, so we have a lot to talk about in the Week in Geek. And I, I, um, I hope Barb brought stuff. I know, um, Eric, you brought some literary insight, as you always do, which I love. I try. <laughs> He's quiet. Um, so, but the first thing I want to talk about, uh, which is massive news, um, although it's not happy news and it's not great, is the craziness happening with the Alamo Draft House and Fantastic. It's Fantastic Fest, right? That's their film festival. I always. Mm-hmm else but um if you've been under a rock um you may not have known what's going on and it's not pretty and it's another case of sadly bro culture being part of the world of geekdom and uh what happened was there is this writer um, that worked for the Alamo Draft House's uh website I think it was called it's called birth movies death Nice title. Um, and they, uh, his name is Devin, Devin Farsi. And Devin Farsi, Farsi, who cares how you pronounce his last name? <laughs> um, they, uh, Devin apparently is a real piece of work. And he has got a, a history of being a kind of a dick online to people. And turns out that just doesn't stretch to being online. It's in real life. And he uh, apparently sexually assaulted another journalist, a woman. And that happened last year. And um, it wasn't an isolated incident, it turns out. There were quite a few women that he had done this to. And so he, I, I don't believe he was fired as much as he supposedly resigned as his position as the um, editor-in-chief of Birth Movies Death. He wasn't just a writer. He was the editor-in-chief of the site. And so, and I think it may have actually been a print magazine too, but anyway. Um, so Devin left and secretly or not so secretly, just they didn't tell anybody. Um, the Alamo Draft House and Tim League, who is their founder, hired him back. Yeah. And I, I can tell Barb is just dying here. Oh. I got to tell the whole story so people know what we're talking about in case they don't. Okay, um, go ahead. So they I'm... brought back without any fanfare, without any, you know, sort of knowing that it would not be taken well. So they kind of made it, uh, they didn't hide it so much as they didn't tell anybody and kept it very quiet. And so they were paying him and having him back. But now here's Fantastic Fest happening and his name's all over the copy in their in their print for this, for Fantastic Fest. So it's known now that he's been working for them almost the entire year that he has supposedly not been. And it has become a shitstorm for Alamo Draft House. And it shows, you know, my thing is that I took from it is they knew this was a bad thing to do. And that's why they didn't say it, that they had done it. It would have saved them a little bit of face if they had actually said, you know, this guy supposedly is 
you know, trying to get help for his behavior and all of this. And we want to help him out and, and have him be able to at least make a living doing what he's, what he does. But instead they didn't, they just didn't say, and it looks way bad, which it is. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, this guy assaulted these women he didn't deny that he assaulted these women. He he admitted it, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm all for people getting help and everything if you, but here's the thing. I was talking to my husband about this. You're not blackout drunk, as he, as I've heard some of them say that it was because of alcohol, if you know you did it. Right. Discuss. That's not an excuse, Yeah. <laughs> Barbie, you go first. Oh, my God. I I just think the whole thing is just complete. It it literally turns my stomach. Um, You know. They do Mondo, too. I mean, that's Mondo is part of Alamo Draft House. So it's it. They have a lot of of tentacles out there for in the world of fandom. Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, it's just, you know, the whole just, you know, kind of trying to sweep it under the rug to a point. I can't even put into words what I'm thinking about the the whole situation. Um, but, yeah, it, it it's just nasty. It's nasty and it's disgusting. And I'm just, I'm livid to know that it, it's a thing. Yeah, well, and I'm I'm surprised because this is the same group. And and Eric, please chime in if you, you um, uh, have, it, have it, please, please. Um, well, my to me, it's what's interesting to me is is how they've gone. They they've been in the news quite a bit lately, and the earlier news was something that I felt uh, was worth championing. Championing. Uh, which was the whole uh, women's only screening of Wonder Woman. Oh, right. And, oh, right. and mm-hmm. you know, you had these people that were ta- screaming discrimination, which I think is ridiculous. Um, so, you know, I- I'm on their side at that point. And then all of a sudden this happens and it's like, oh, geez, was I wrong to be on their side? I don't think so. I mean, they were. I think they were doing something decent then. But now, all of a sudden, it's you have to sort of question everything. Yeah, because yeah, you know, I, no, I that was what I, I was going to bring up, which was the the Wonder Woman screening, which they were, you know, look at us, we're we're feminists, we're we're all for women, and but at the same time, here they are hiding the fact that they're hiring a guy that did all of this and back, mm-hmm. knowing that he did it, and it's it's really to me disingenuous and they've I believe it was just you know what do I take away from this you did it for money and 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 the you know you knew that it would get picked up like wildfire and um get you some some more press maybe you knew that this was going to happen maybe you were trying to save face in what had happened the previous year and you just peed all over that with this Mm mm-hmm so it, it just is really sad, and it just shows how it's still this male-dominated, you know, when I think, wow, you know, fangirl 
I started it all that those years ago and we don't kind of, you know, it's not, it's not needed anymore. And, and, and we're getting more and more like, uh, you know, it's, it's getting more, it's, it's equal. And then you see this and you realize it's not, it's, it's, it's just getting better hidden. They're hiding it better. Yeah, exactly. And I would like to say more, but it just gets me upset just to know that it's still, you know, it's just wrong. It's wrong, and it just, yeah. Well, and it was, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that there was also, um, uh, Kurt Loder on, um, on Twitter yesterday retweeted, uh, a piece, uh, it was a tweet by someone who had said that Tim League had just announced, um, that he was going to be stepping down from Alamo Drafthouse in, uh, in November, and I guess, uh, Yesterday, Tim League came out to say he is not stepping down. Oh, really? Even though I think he should. Uh, yeah, I As, totally think he should. And because he was the one that signed off on bringing him back, you know. And this, he, you know, you have. I just, I can't. I just, I, I'm in awe of it that they thought that was a good idea. Right. That just, it, the whole thing just blows my mind, honestly, and and that's the safest thing I can say about it right now. <laughs> I, I I could go on one of my famous rants, but I will. I I digress. I won't start because I won't shut up about it. And we have tons of other things that are more <laughs> lighthearted to discuss. Yeah, I just so. that's why I wanted to get this out of the way. I wanted to talk about it now and get it out of the way because I mean they're already losing. Uh, not only have they lost you know respect and uh, trust from people, but they've also lost business because they um, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, the movie with um, that's coming out that's actually based on uh, actual. Uh, crime and assault uh pulled their film from fantastic fest um because they didn't want to be a part of it after that nice yeah have more people i mean i i've not really kept up with what's going on at the fest itself who me in regards to who is still participating yeah yeah i haven't i don't know of any other ones yet but i do know that that was um that was definitely one that pulled and um, you can only imagine, I, I know there's a lot of reporters that aren't covering it now mm-hmm. that are just like, we're going to go. Um, a lot of female reporters specifically and writers aren't going because they refuse to have a part of it. Right. So it's, it's, an, it's, I don't know how they're going to come back from that in terms of, of still, you know, it's still an ongoing thing and uh, people are going to remember that they kept it quiet and brought the guy back. So I don't think, I think they've uh, dug their, themselves deep into a hole. I don't see them coming back from that. I think they've kind of killed themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mondo people are still buying their stuff, buying it out. So the only way that they're going to know they've done that is if people stop buying things. Right. And giving them money. Um, you know, it's the I'll, last thing I'll say about it is I, I found it amusing and sad at the same time. Someone said, you know, Alamo Drafthouse, talk about movies, we'll kick you out for life. But, you know, attack a woman, it's okay. 
Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. It's fine. Well, this fine. this all makes me think of the, uh, the not to keep going dark here, but it makes me think <laughs> of the uh, Jeepers Creepers 3 Victor Salva thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and you have... I know quite a few people that are, you know, they they want to boycott the movie, or they they are going to boycott the movie. They want other people to, um, because of course Victor Salva is a convicted child molester, um, and then you you do have the people that argue that well he paid his debt, he did his time, let him move on with his life, and then there are the people that don't even care. I mean, and I've literally seen people post, "I don't care, I just want to see my Jeepers Creepers." Yeah, and it's it's the same thing. In, unless you protest with your dollars or by withholding your dollars, um, studios are going to keep hiring people like this. Uh, companies like Alamo Drafthouse will will do this sort of thing. You know, it's it, nothing's going to change until the amount of money we're spending changes, I guess. Yeah, and that's exactly the that's the only thing they'll listen to. A lot of people, you know, the the business is where they're you can hurt them. That's the only way. Mhm. Well, it's the almighty dollar. Yeah. People, you know, they'll do whatever they have to to get it. Yeah. And uh I mean, if you keep shelling out the money, I mean, don't like I said, don't forget that Mondo is part of, part of that. that. And, and- they have, they a, have massive a massive following, follow. and so does Alamo Draft House, and it sucks because I love Mondo stuff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I always I dreamed of going to an Alamo Draft House screening. Not anymore. Right. So. Oh. Uh, it's just yeah, it's a shame. It, it really does suck. Um, but on to better things, even though it is still dark. <laughs> Um, did you guys see the Punisher trailer that was released a couple days ago? I have not watched it. I read about it, though. Oh, Eric? I did not bother to watch it. <gasps> um, I'm so far behind on my, my <gasps> show that uh, I'm just like, okay, I'll get to it when I get to it, unfortunately. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. Sorry. Now, is it? Uh, I understand. I believe that we're we're going back to his days as a soldier. Actually, as part of the story. It's not like a it's not like a prequel show. No, it's not a prequel show. It, it does show you how back. it. Yeah, it shows you how he became who he is and what happened. Um, and it's be- It's so beautiful. Um, they've they. Um, time the whole thing with this the song from Metallica One. Oh nice. And uh John Bernthal looks amazing in this role. It just looks so, so, so good. Um I mean it's no holes barred preacher. He's just blowing people away. It's it's not happy go lucky anything. Well, the it's... only thing that sucks is that you still don't know when it's gonna come out. Oh, really? They keep it hidden. Oh, right, I forgot. I heard about that. Yeah. It's just going to just going to pop it up there. It's going to be like, "Hey, anybody paying attention to This uh, is coming here." Yeah, Netflix, here it is, you know. Okay. It doesn't show anything. It, it like says 2017 and that's it. My question is um since it does deal with that uh backstory, uh 
does it look like I don't know if either of you read uh, the the Punisher Born miniseries that dealt with Frank Castle as a soldier. Uh, so I'm wondering if it pulls from that story. Well, the, what I took, what I got from the trailer, because um, it is only two and a half minutes, um, was it's something to do with the CIA. And uh, in the trailer, it was interesting because it seemed like it was, um, unless I'm crazy, uh, did you don't see his son get killed or his kid get killed in this? His daughter, was it his daughter? It was his daughter. Daughter, I think. Um, but you see his wife get shot right in front of him. Like she's literally on the bed with him, and this guy just walks in, puts a gun to her head, and blows her brains out. Oh, damn. And um, then you see him strung up, being tortured. So I, that's the only thing that you kind of, because it's really quick, and it's clips, and, you know, um, and you see him, he's joining forces with this guy who um, he doesn't care if he kills everybody because he he goes you know frank goes i'm gonna kill them all and, and the guy's like i can live with that <laughs> so um they're looking for the people that are responsible for his family's death and um that's that's it that's all i got well i'm captivated i might have to give that a go whenever it comes to netflix <laughs> yeah, forever this year whenever <laughs> Um, I like the tagline that, which is the truth must be taken. And uh, uh, John Bernthal smells better than any human being I've ever been around. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to have a chance to smell anybody, so <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I don't know if it was pheromones or if it was what, but I got a picture with him and I'm standing there and all of a sudden... I just make a noise with my throat that I I hope he didn't hear. <laughs> it would be awkward. He'd probably be like, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, you need to get that checked. Or I'm he's sorry. used to it. I'm sorry. Did I, did I make that noise? <laughs> oh, man. Now, I've heard that he and Rita's both smell delicious. My friend met Rita's at a con a couple of years ago, and she said he smelled like chocolate. John Bernthal smelled like the most expensive, amazing cologne ever. Ever. Wow. Oh. And My, oof. Oh, I just, yeah, there was, that was a, it, that was like cave woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would. <laughs> I yeah, I didn't. I didn't grabbing have... him like by the hair and dragging him across the. And he floor. had his hair back. That was probably part of it too. Oh, see, you know that yeah. a hair. He because he shaved it and it was really short and it's short for Punisher. But when I met him, he'd let it grow back and it was that Shane hair. Nice. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, Eric, I have a girl back here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been a few feet away from him, <laughs> but I was busy gushing over Eldon Henson oh. <laughs> and meeting him. And the the line for uh, for John was a little too long for me. So, but I, I did get his his table was right next to Eldon Henson's. So when I was talking to Eldon Henson, uh, Shane, Frank <laughs> Castle, John Barenthal was just a few feet away, and I didn't smell anything. 
I was going to ask if anything it walked it over to you. Or affected. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it might be a woman thing. I don't know. <laughs> that could that could truly be. It could be. I don't it know. might be. It might be our superpower. I don't yeah, know. It's true. I did. I do have to say though that one time, one time, Norman Reedus kissed me right in the mouth. <sighs> and yeah, and that was unexpected. And then he did, I had lipstick on. And the one thing that he did that I was like, oh, oh, he licked my lipstick off his lips. Well, now. And I was like, oh, okay. that's what the girls are going on about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I didn't smell him. I did not smell him. Well, I, I, I wouldn't be smelling him if you like put part, uh, a part of him <laughs> on my mouth either. <laughs> Oh, I know girls that would kill me oh. over that. Would murder me. I'd be dead. I just live vicariously through you. I did not expect it. And what's funny is I don't think he knows who I am, even though we've met like a hundred times at this point. But it's funny every time I walk by him at like Comic Con, I'll look over and go, "Hey, Norman," and he goes, and he does this thing where he's like, "I know you." And he goes, he just, just looks over and says, hey, baby, how you doing? Nice. <laughs> he up and he's like, screw it. I don't know who it is, but I know her. <laughs> right. Hey, champ. <laughs> I can hug. Hey, that works. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going totally off tangent because I'm slap happy <laughs> today. I'm so tired. Um, now, here's something I'm curious about the two of you and what you think. Because uh, I know what I think. Um, HBO has officially picked up the pilot for the Watchmen TV series that is going to be written by Damon Lindelof. See, I don't even care about the Damon Lindelof thing because I'm not a Watchmen fan. I personally think the comic book is overrated. Oh, yeah, I'll say it. <laughs> I read it way back in the day. It was fine. And I suppose it was groundbreaking at the time. Um, but it, it's not, to me, it, it's not the be-all, end-all of comic book stories. I've never seen the movie. Wow. I've seen bits really? of it. You, see you see it, watch the extended version. Because it, it actually is a really good telling. I, I, I He did, that's one of those things where... Um, What's his name? Um, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, thank you. Uh, Zack Snyder is very good. At, at the time, he was very good at taking other people's stuff and making film. And then he did Sucker Punch, mm. which was not someone else's stuff. It was his stuff. And then he did BVS. Um, and I'm not sure what happened there. Man of Steel. Um, and he did Man of Steel, um, which was decent. Um, but the Watchmen, Watchmen, I think, you know, it, he did that right after 300. And Watchmen was the unmakeable thing. And he made it. And he actually did better than, I think, the comic in some aspects because of that stupid squid thing isn't in it. <laughs> I like the squid thing. I, I, but how they do it, you know, that wouldn't have played on film. It would have played no, not at all. Um, but how he, he did the squid in the movie he still had the squid in it but it was done in such a way that it was smart 
and played well. First of all, there, there is some Zack Snyder that I like, but if you took the slow motion out of his movies, they'd be 30 <laughs> minute TV episodes. They'd be only But uh, I mean, and I've seen parts of Watchmen, and it's one of those maybe someday I'll watch it. It's worth uh, it for Jackie Earl Haley. I'm, yeah. And I do love Rorschach. Uh, but the whole point to all this is I don't care about an HBO Watchmen series, whether or not it's Damon Lindelof. I just don't care. That was my point. Barb, <laughs> I'm in agreement with Eric. I don't see myself like DVRing it and making it a point to drop everything I'm doing to watch it. Um, I enjoyed the movie. And. And, you know, a TV series, yeah, I'll give it a chance, but I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, and get, like, all excited about it. I don't think they need to make a TV series. Um, You know, it was a self-contained comic, really. Mm -hmm. And they really did the nail in the coffin with me with Lindelof. Because he has just he's managed to piss all over anything he's touched that i've enjoyed Mm -hmm. previously like the prime example was prometheus yes i agree with you i want you know my my joke is how many big giant body part statues are going to be in Watchmen now Uh, because that's his thing yeah yeah you know dr manhattan's got the only big giant body part you need Ooh, <laughs> you did go there. You did go there. Um, so yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not. I'm. And there's I, no reason for it, and I don't. And and if there was a chance of me being interested, they'd have to first of all bring Jackie or Haley back to play Rorschach because no one else can play him. Right. Well. <laughs> no, you, dude. I mentioned if this. Seen the entire film, you would be like, no one else can play that part. I That's mentioned true. this to you earlier this week. I do not believe that anybody owns a part. He does. I think mm-hmm. he yes. may be amazing in it, but that doesn't mean someone else can't do it justice. That's my opinion. And uh, man, he he he's perfect. It's just, it's like, in regards to, like, Joe Gilgan playing Cassidy. No one else could play that part. He is Cassidy. We'll just have to agree to disagree. He is <laughs> He is wonderful. <laughs> I love him as Cassidy. But I don't believe he's the only person that could have ever done it. Oh, I can't think of anybody else that could have played that part. You know me. I have faith in humanity. I know I don't anymore. <laughs> um, but kind of well, bounce well, off. Hang on. Oh, I, oh, I, oh. I want to ask Eric then. If nobody owns a role, mm-hmm. what what about um, Robert England as Freddy Krueger compared to the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street with Jackie Earl Haley in the Krueger role? I wonder if someone's going to say that. Well, first of all, I've never seen the remake. Well, you're lucky. But second of all, <laughs> I didn't say anybody could do it. I'm just saying I don't believe nobody could do it. But somebody tried to do it, and they did it horribly. One person. Yeah. There could be somebody out there who could. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just really, saying. There's someone who could do it. 
it's possible there's someone who could do it even better than Robert England. Oh, this is true. Oh, I'm just saying. That one person that has yet to be found, but ever, <laughs> ever born. Um, <laughs> I kind of was well, yeah, maybe they haven't been born yet. I don't know. Jesus Christ. <sighs> just saying. I'm not even. Gonna, I like to. I am going to to comment on that one. Um, bouncing off of Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> Send all comments to Jessica. Um, there is a book series that I actually really enjoy called Discovery of Witches. It's the, um, it, it, well, that's one of the books. It's not the book series name, but, um, it is a great series of novels that are sort of in the vein, pun intended, of the, um, you know, the urban fantasy, dark fantasy stuff, um, having vampires, witches, and all kinds of supernatural creatures in it. And um, they have announced that they are making a TV series, and it is going to be a production um, that is being done by the, uh, the previous female Doctor Who producers um, that uh, worked with David Tennant and Russell T. Davies and those gents um, back in the day. Uh, and it's going to be a BBC, actually it's going to be on Sky, a Sky original production. And it's cool because their their production company is actually called Bad Wolf Productions. <laughs> nice. Uh, Julie Gardner and Jane Tranter. And uh, they are announced, they've announced a couple of the castings. And this is where the Watchmen connection comes in because um, Ozymandias himself, Matthew Good, is going to be playing the vampire lead. Oh. And he is pretty. Yeah. And I like pretty. He's very pretty. He's very, very pretty. <laughs> And it's going to be very, very good. He he do, he needs to play a vampire before I croak. Um, but it's also really cool because um, Juan Carlos Medina is going to direct the series pilot episode. And um, I have I just got done interviewing him, and it's on FangirlMag.com. You can read it. Um, he did the Limehouse Golem, which is a really cool Victorian slasher horror film. Uh, that it just came out literally like last week, two weeks ago, um, and uh, that stars Bill Nye. And actually, it's interesting because Nye took on that part as the lead investigator in the um, in the movie. It, Alan Rickman was to be in it, and he was too sick. But um, at the time, um, and uh, Nye took it on, and he's like channeling his inner Peter Cushing in this role. Um, but it's very beautifully done. So I have really good feelings about this being an amazing series. So it will probably air. I believe it's going to be airing on Sky TV in Britain. Um, and then we'll be airing over here on a, on an as yet unnamed. We don't know yet. Is that what that means? Um, network. So check out Discovery of Witches. It's going to be really cool. That well, how about pretty amazing. I'm excited. Yes, Eric. I was going to say, how about we continue to connect the dots uh -oh. and talk about the other witch show that was recently announced. The Chilling Tales of Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. Um, we actually, uh, I, I had to send my 
cohort and crime from Horror Hound over to the Riverdale um, press rounds when we were in San Diego. And that was one of my questions that I gave him to ask was, are they ever going to be doing a um, uh, afterlife with Archie on Riverdale? And boom, we've got Sabrina now. I I have the first volume of Afterlife with Archie. I have not read that yet, but I have read the first volume of uh, The Chilling Tales of Sabrina. Sabrina, excuse me. And it's amazing. Just straight up horror. That's and an after, after with Archie is, 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 is like that. And that, and that, and the way they could do that in that series is, is if, if they, they had, had Sabrina, Sabrina, because it's Sabrina who causes the zombies. And well, they could do, you know, they could do like the Halloween dream episode. Uh, well, have you, have you watched Riverdale? I have. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Loved it. And it's such a creepy vibe throughout it that I think they could get away with having like real zombies in it. Possibly. And I always call it a cross between 90210 and Twin Peaks. Same here. Yeah, yeah. that's what I got. And it's so good. Barb, have you seen it? I have. I love the little angels. Yeah, I was actually surprised at how, at what a cool show it is. I wasn't expecting it to be, like, it sucked me in. I was like, okay. Because, you know, well, you know, back in the day, because I'm old, I used to, (laughs) I used to read Archie comics and stuff, so I was figuring it was going to be like Betty and freaking, you know, the whole gang being all like, I don't know, Pips, or, you know, just, hi, how are you doing? I didn't... Go into the stock hop and have an <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and, and so the dark, the darker aspect coming in, it made me happy. I was like, well, hell yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing what Sabrina brings to the table. I think yeah, I was... Yeah, I actually thought they were going to go as dark as having um, the the twins be... Lannister types <laughs> right because <laughs> they really gave off the vibe they were because yeah, her yeah. looked like Archie who she and, was dating for right the love of God. um but yeah I I absolutely loved it and I was really excited to hear about that um and yeah I can't I can't wait I I think they could have the um they could do something like the Halloween special every year and have something creepy happen. I think that would be so much fun. And yeah, there, there is now going to be a uh, Jughead werewolf. Ooh, <gasps> yeah. Oh. I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of dug Doug. I dug Doug. Oh. Uh, You're going to hear me flipping pages here um, (laughs) in the previews, comic book previews, to see if I can find this really quickly. Uh, I love the casting in that show, too, um, because Ski Ulrich is still hot. Yes. And and I did you cackle with glee at the dinner scene where he goes, I'm a movie buff. And I'm like, Um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My my kids uh, try to watch it with me, but they can't because of all the noises I would make. So they're like, okay. (laughs) Mommy needs alone time. 
<laughs> oh, you know, you you would think by now they'd be used to it, but no, I, I seem to be able to create more noises for them to just give me that look like, whoa, okay, it's time to go in the other room now. <laughs> Mom's having her moment. <laughs> go on, Eric. Sorry. All right, well, I have here in the previews, comic book previews catalog, Jughead the Hunger, number one. Ooh. Um, it says brand new Archie horror series. Jughead Jones is a werewolf and Reggie Mantle has fallen victim to Jughead's monstrous ways. Now, Betty Cooper, werewolf hunter, along with Archie Andrews, are hot on the trail of Jughead. Wow. That's what it says. Um, There's some three interesting looking covers, all werewolfed out. So that'll go along with. The Chilling Tales of Sabrina and Afterlife with Archie and all their other horror. I'm excited about that. I, I loved Afterlife with Archie. It's so pretty, too. I love the style that they use for it. They've got a really cool art look to it that it's almost painted. It's really cool. The style um, for Sabrina is really nice, and it's set in the 50s or 60s. Um, I would love to see them carry that sort of that aesthetic look to the TV show. Oh, yeah. No, I would be sweet. It would be neat to have a flashbacks and have them like that. I think that would be really neat. Um, so really quickly, because we're, we're, of course, of course we're, going we're going over, over something new, new what happened. happened. What a shock. Oh, surprise. Um, the Gotham season premiere happened um, on Thursday. They've moved it to Thursday nights. And um, it was actually really, really good because they finally got everybody to the at least a decent age. So now we have Bruce Wayne actually wearing a mask and fighting crime at night. And um, then you've got Alexander Siddig as Ra- 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 Ghul being mysterious and hot and then you have um catwoman selena kyle actually has a whip now and is beating the crap out of thugs and it's really really good and the ending set up um it's this this section of gotham is called uh a dark the dark night rises or something like that it's like a dark night thing and um uh the Really, a dark night is what it's called. I'm sorry, a dark night. Um, the cool thing is this finale ended with, or this premiere ended with, uh, the scarecrow. <gasps> and yeah, Jonathan Crane is finally the scarecrow, and he looks like the scarecrow from the um, the Gotham, uh, God, Gotham. Gotham Knight games, the 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 video games, the really Perfect. cool bag over his head, creepy looking. I have the wrist um, sprayers on. Scarecrow, he looks nice. awesome. And by the way, if those who don't remember who played the Scarecrow's daddy, Julian Sands, yay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it looked great. Um, the penguin has went complete penguin crazy. Um, and, uh, it just was a great episode. I was really impressed. Uh, they're finally after four seasons, Bruce Wayne's old enough to actually kind of start being Batman. Very cool. Yeah. Eric, did you see it? I did not. I just can't. I can't bring myself to watch it. 
It actually it's someday. It okay. this one actually was good. Like I said, it's it's the thing with Gotham is it it'll it'll start really good and then tank and then come back up at the end. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping this one just stays with this steady, decent rhythm. I and the race race I I can never know if I'm saying it right. Race race Al Ghul race Al Ghul. Ghul. The, he says it different in this. They they actually don't call him Race Al Ghul. They, he will always and forever be Raz Al Ghul to me. They, that's that's not how they say it in this, and I don't know if it's. Sadig is doing something different with the pronunciation or what, but um, I I really enjoyed this one. He looks great in that role, by the way. He always looks good, but I really like that they have him in this. Um, and then tomorrow night, uh, as I I Eric and I were battling it out over the Orville last the other day. <laughs> um, tomorrow night we have the premiere. Speaking of Star Trek actors, Star Trek Discovery um, starts, which I'm excited about. And I might be willing to pay if it's a good pilot. Um, and I think it will be considering who's all in it. And um, I've heard nothing but good things. So we'll see how that goes. I will watch the pilot. Uh, but I am I really doubt I'm going to pay just for one show. Well, you know, if it's good, I don't mind. But um, I, I think they're doing some other stuff on CBS All Access or whatever it's called. Um, so we'll see, uh, really quickly before I hand this over to Eric, uh, cause I know he has some stuff to talk about, like I said, about books, which I'm going to steal that one you just bought. Yeah. Or you can <laughs> go buy your own copy. I don't know. We probably don't have anything that cool around here. Um, I got the, it at Barnes and Noble. Hmm, how much was it? 25 bucks. Ouch. Well, I had what? 20% off cost me 20. Oh, that's not bad. Um, It's a big, it's almost coffee table book size. Oh, damn. Um, Really quickly, I wanted to talk about the Preacher season finale because Eric and I called it. Eric called it, and I I agreed with him, and I said, oh, it'll be tasty, tasty angst if that happens, and it did. (laughs) Yes. Uh, They killed Tulip. Yeah, I say I called it 50%. Because I wanted them to do it the way it was done in the comic, which it's not, but they still did it. And I yeah. think it's wonderful to leave people hanging this way. Yeah, especially yeah, if they don't know what happens in the comic books. And it, I don't know if it's... It, I'm just happy that we got to see Cassidy be a vampire. Yeah, he like, was Like, oh God, he was so good. And the whole, that whole angsty between him and um, uh, Jesse, and it oh. just was so perfect, and it's setting it up for things to happen. And um, but the thing is, I you know I I've talked to other people, and they're like, Cassidy's a garbage person. He's not a good guy, and he blah, blah. they're really making it hard to not like him. He's the best. He he's the <laughs> best person on the show. Yeah, he is. Jesse Custer is a huge dick. He is a huge dick. He's not a hero. (laughs) Tulip isn't as bad as Jesse, but she's still very self-centered. Yeah. And say Cassidy is because, you know, he has that crush on Tulip and everything, but 
he, but he's the one that always asks about other people. And he genuinely loves her. That's the thing. Like that one scene where they were at the bar, he actually meant that. He said, mm-hmm. I love you, you know, yeah. and he, he, he let his hands, you know, his fingers got chopped off. He saved her life, yeah. you know, and this whole thing. And she, the thing I don't like about Tulip is it's obvious that, you know, if you're blind, you don't see that he's in love with her and he actually wants to be around her and cares about her and doesn't leave her behind. Um, He's the one that shows concern for other people. He always asks Jesse, have you seen Tulip? Jesse's like, no, I haven't seen her. I got things to do. And then he'll ask Tulip, have you seen Jesse? She's like, I don't know where he is. I have things to do. He's the one that wants to know that everybody's okay. Yeah. And, you know, he knew that, that, that whole thing with his son, that was so, well done. And the, the dog, he let the dog go. <laughs> he made two tough decisions in regard to his son. One was turning him. Because Jesse was a dick. And then the other was killing him. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then he let the dog go. Banjo. And, and that was a great moment when he says, he asked Dennis if he could behave or however he put it. And then Dennis says, can you behave? And he's basically, and I mean, it's wonderful acting on his part just when he says not while you're around basically. yeah and yeah, then right. well, when his son is is dying horribly you know he's like that scene was just i mean joe gilgan is fantastic at first i thought that that might be another daydream hallucination whatever after the uh, thing with tulip I thought, you know, he throws him out. He throws Dennis out into the sun. Dennis burns. And then it's going to cut back to him standing in front of Dennis, having imagined that. But nope. Nope. He really did it. <laughs> nope. And that's kind of a, uh, I actually went on Comixology because I don't have all the comics. I, um, I somewhere I have volume one. Um, but I went and got, they, they had like, I think each character got their own standalone issue when the series was being made and I went ahead and got the blood and whiskey one, which is the Cassidy one. Well, they all, as the series was going on, there were a lot of one shots. um, And uh, Saint of Killers had a a whole mini series. I believe four issues, but our space had a one shot. Jody at TC. I believe theirs was just a one shot. Cassidy had his, um, and believe it or not, I've actually read every single one of the comics. They're good. They're they're great comics. And if you haven't read them, you really oh, need one to. One of the best comic stories ever. Um, but the Cassidy one was great because it was a big old uh, mock of of the Anne Rice um, style right. of vampire, and it's a nod. You know, in the um, it's very much kind of like what happened with Dennis, um, with the vampire in that. And I thought that was great. Um, it played really well. And uh, it's a really great one shot. If you guys go on Comixology, um, I would suggest reading that one because it doesn't, it's more of a prequel than anything else because it takes place right before right. he heads to Texas. So it's good stuff. Um, I, I want to give Eric and Barb a chance. Uh, anything that you guys have for Weekend Geek before we move on to our interview? So I know, Eric, you do. Yes, I absolutely have to talk about this book that I just read. I hate you. Uh, 
why. It's not, it's not the one I just bought. Um, this is a book called The Warblers. It's by Amber Fallon. And it's from Eraserhead Press. It's just a little tiny novella. It's about 80 pages. Um, it's about... <laughs> it, it's told by a 14-year-old farm boy uh, sometime in the past. I don't know exactly when uh, because their neighbors have a truck, but only fancy people have phones in their house. 30s, maybe? <laughs> Fancy people have phones. Uh, yeah, they, he mentions, he's like, you know, you got to be fancy if you have a phone in your house. Um, but this uh, this 14-year-old kid and his family, his mom and dad and his little sister, they have an infestation of warblers. We don't know what these things are, but they will, they come out at night and they'll kill your cattle, your pets, your family. Um, and it's, they have to deal, this, this kid and his family have to deal with these warblers. And... This book is absolutely amazing. The voice of the character narrating it, uh, Del McDale is the name of the character. It, not that I have a lot of, not that I've known a lot of 14 year old farm boys, but to me, this would be, it sounds like a 14 year old farm boy from a hundred <laughs> years ago. The voice is amazing. The story is amazing. The way it unfolds. Um, I would say this is Stephen King caliber story. Oh, wow. Or even Joe Lansdale. This oh, book, nice. Oh. I, I read uh, either earlier this year or late last year, I read what I think is her first published novella, The Terminal. And in my review, I said, you know, it's an entertaining story, but it felt rough. It felt like a young author. And in my review for this book, The Warblers, um, I said that it makes me believe in time travel <laughs> because it feels like she has spent a decade honing her craft and then come back to now to publish this story. It, it, it feels like such a seasoned author has written this book. Um, so I, I can't recommend this enough. It, it's, easily in my top five books of the year so far could oh, wow. possibly end up at number one um so it's the warblers by amber fallon from eraserhead press you can get it on amazon uh i, I cannot recommend this book enough it's a quick read like i said 80 pages i read it in one sitting just fantastic and it's she builds an interesting world the, the way the story progresses and where it ends up I don't want to give anything at all away, but there are some amazing, bizarre elements to this. Uh, Eraserhead Press is a bizarro press, so it's uh, well. Yeah. You've convinced me to get it. Come yeah, on, no doubt. <laughs> got to read this book. Excuse me. Uh, Barbie, got anything? Yeah, I have a couple of things. Um, I don't know if you guys have been watching the new season of American Horror Story. I watched the first, first episode, episode and they and lost they... me. I have not. Okay. Um, <laughs> I sound so thrilled. <laughs> I've really been trying to give it a chance since I've sat and been a fan of pretty much the first three seasons. Um, I definitely was not a fan of the past season, the Roanoke or whatever. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> 
No, it it was just a waste of time. This one, it's got potential. The first two episodes are kind of like, but the last one got kind of interesting. Um, The only, the biggest gripe I have about it right now is Sarah Paulson. Um, I'm sure she's a lovely woman outside of the series. (laughs) But I I am sick. (laughs) I'm sick to death of every episode so far. Her screaming and crying for a good, I don't know, over 50% of of the episode. Um, Billy Eichner is in it this season. I enjoy him because uh, he's like the king of snark. If you've ever watched his series, Billy on the Street, where he's just the guy on the street and he tortures just like the average Joe in New York City. Difficult people too. Uh, if not, yeah. He, he was on the he, last couple of seasons of Parks and Recreation. Right. Right. Um, um, he's on another series. I can't think of it. Uh, is it Difficult People or something like that? I think it's yeah. on Hulu. Difficult I think he's on that. Is my life. That's okay. I, I am the girl in that. That's that's. Um, yeah, that's me. He's me. Nice. <laughs> Well, yeah, I I have like stalked him on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> he knows I'm a fan of his, so I enjoy seeing him in American Horror Story. But his character's kind of eh. But uh, yeah, it's just I started calling it a horror story just because going back to Sarah Paulson, that seems to be the only reason she's in in the show this series or the season is just a scream and cry and just make you scream at your TV for her to shut up because that seemed just to be like, like half of the first episode I think was that yes so like I said this last this last episode has some potential the story arc is starting to happen and a few interesting things happen so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out hopefully it doesn't like fall flat like the, the past few seasons have um also, what else? I am, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, I'm sure you have, that Jamie Lee's returning to Haddonfield for this yeah. Halloween. Did, Did that make you squee like it made me squee when I when I read the news? Oh, my God. Well, the other thing, uh, kind of on along with that, they just announced that Linda Hamilton's coming back to Terminator. Yes. And I, I really, really want... Ripley and <laughs> and, and yes. Sarah Connor to join forces and kick ass. And you can just have Lori Strode show up for no reason. Exactly. Bring in donuts and coffee. I am I'm torn. Uh-oh. Um, just because yeah, it's kind of cool. It's like, ooh, cool. Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back. Uh, Lindell Hamilton's coming back. But then, on the other hand, it's like, we're just going back to the well again. Well, you know what, though? Part of the thing they're doing is they're going to scrub away the feces that wore the last couple of films from each of those franchises. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. Yeah, but I don't know. It just, we just seem to be going backwards. Because that was where the good stuff is, because the future crap sucked. What I want, this is what I want, and Hollywood, take note. 
I want an actor, let's say Sandra Bullock, I'm just going to pull her name out of the air, to just start remaking every movie she's ever made, playing the same role. She kind of did that with most of her career. And just, but I mean... Sorry, that was really snarky. (laughs) I mean, literally remake every movie she's ever been in, playing the same role, and starting from the most recent and go backwards. So by the time she's 80, she's playing a 22-year-old. <laughs> I love, but I got to say, I love the picture that they released with that because she was wearing her original clothes, right. that outfit, and that was, that looked like the original Michael Myers back there, not the Rob Zombie shit. Uh, yeah, um, cool picture. It was really cool, and I I am okay with it. I'm okay with it because they really need to erase the shit that was Buster Rhymes or whoever. Resurrection, yeah. No. That was, yeah, that was bad. Bad. Not okay. No. H2O, I I could take because it had Josh Hartnett in it. And at the time it came out, I had a thing for him. So I could overlook part of that so for him but yeah uh, yeah i i yeah i i am happy with it because they're going to erase it sounds like and the same with with the terminator franchise they're going their genesis not didn't happen <laughs> did not happen that's that's the name i mean it really didn't happen for matt smith because i think matt smith had his agents like erase any any mention of him from any of the press materials or anything else. Uh, and people were like, Matt Smith was in that movie? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> don't you remember the Entertainment Weekly cover? And all of a sudden then Matt Smith wasn't in it, but he was, but you wouldn't have known it unless you went and saw the crap. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. <laughs> I watched it. My husband and I, Thelma and Louise, Jenna shit. Um, we knew that it was going to end with us going off a cliff <laughs> and we watched it together and helped each other through it and tweeted the entire time. Each of us were tweeting about it the entire time. Oh man. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, we watched it together and, and, um, God, that was horrible. I'm still have nightmares. <laughs> so. With, with that, um, we're going to go ahead and go into our interview. So, again, I want to thank you guys. Let's do this again next week because it was fun. Heck and yeah. And, uh, yeah, and um, we're going to go to our interview with Gary Scheiman. And it, this is a fantastic interview. Uh, please listen through and pick up um, – Pick up, you know, if you haven't played the Mordor game, um, the original, the first one, I he I believe did the score for as well. Um, the uh, Shadow of Mordor, I think it was Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, um, was fantastic, and it's uh, not, I think it's like ten dollars right now on Steam or something, and it's totally worth it. Um, but check it out. Um, the new one's coming, I believe, next month in October. I think October seventh. I want to say, um, but it, this was a fantastic interview. Really fun to talk to him. A lot of history with this guy and some really great insight into what it is to score um, different. Cause he's done everything at this point. He's done film, he's done TV and he has now done video games. So there's really nothing left. You can't really score a book. I mean, you can, <laughs> yeah. but you can, but I don't know 
Yeah, I guess you could. I I don't think I've ever heard of that though, Eric. There are book soundtracks. That's cool. I've oh. not heard one. No. I have to flick this up now. <laughs> um, but yes, let's do this again next week. Um, and I hope you enjoy this. Uh, thank you, Eric, and thank you, Barb. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> yes, I I'm glad I was happy to hear you guys again. It's been a good while. It has. And um yeah, we will have to do this again um very uh, next week. And I'm working on um another interview, hopefully, that I will have for this show. Uh and if I um pull it off, we may have um me, let me get the name right. Let me get the name right. Uh, do, 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 do. <sighs> See, this is this is me not not knowing enough at the time. Josh Stewart. Josh Stewart may be joining us next week on the show. Cool. You know cool. who that is. Do either of you know? Who that is? <laughs> <laughs> you would know his face if you've seen the movie The Collector. He is ah. the cute, very pale, um, breaking and entering dude that takes him on and makes it out. So, spoilers. <laughs> well, there's another one called The Collection, which is the sequel. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> there you go. Uh, he's also in the TV series Shooter, and um, he's been in Criminal Minds. Um, but I will always know him as the guy from the collection as well. And the collector as well, a lot of people, um, but we're working on getting him cause he's got a new movie coming out and I want to talk about it with him called malicious. Ooh. I like that word. Malicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, so guys, thank you again for listening and, um, hopefully we'll get Josh on, um, next week. And if not, I'm working on other things as well to get on the show for you guys. Cause I want to start doing this more often. Cause we had a very long time where we didn't do it. And, um, that was life, the universe and everything coming in and beating us up. And I still haven't talked really about Rose city comic con yet <laughs> where I, I met my doctor again. Yay. <laughs> I gotta live vicariously through you still. Because nobody Another comes hug. out to where I am. <laughs> I got another hug and I got to talk to him about Peter Cushing again and um got to see Dominic Cooper as well. So that was fun. Um but yeah, so uh we will be back next week again with another episode, hopefully with Barb and Eric. And uh we will see you next week on Fangirl Radio. Bye bye. Bye. And everybody, I want to welcome to Fangirl Radio, Mr. Gary Scheiman, who is a, a prolific composer. He has done, I mean, he's basically done most of my childhood. Don't, don't mean to make you feel old. Um, but he's done a lot of things that I have listened to throughout most of my life. And uh, he's gone from film, TV, to the realm of video games. And uh, I want to welcome you to the show, Gary. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm glad I got to score some of your childhood. You <laughs> probably scared scared you. Uh, well, <laughs> responsible for well, keeping you under the covers. Uh, well, you did some things that like really um, hit home for me, like things that I I just loved, which was like the A Team and oh, okay, yeah. American Hero and uh, just 
things like that and just i i mean i was an 18 i i had everything i had all the action figures i had everything you could get so it was okay well that that's that's going back to that's when i first started uh scoring anything right out of usc when i went i studied at usc and got a degree in music comp and i wanted to score film and tv and so when i got out i got very lucky and started working for mike post and b carpenter and I was a ghost, what they call ghost. And he had, they, those guys had so many TV shows going on that they hired about three or four of us. And, and so I was constantly just scoring old, the, what is now an old, old, those old TV shows. Oh, man, I, I loved them. I grew up with all of that um, TV racing. I'll give you a little. <laughs> when we, when, when I, I was sitting with like three other composers, and we were watching the, uh, the, the, the first A-Team episode and we all looked at each other and go this is terrible we, we thought it was so bad we thought this this is gonna last they're, they're gonna make like three shows this is like such a bomb you know this is such bad television and we were all we were so wrong nobody ever died <laughs> we, but there was so many bullets exactly. we were just we just were were not plus well this is this is not gonna make it and then it became a big hit so there you go there's there's my That's hilarious. So my my first question is, because you did start with TV and film, how did you come to start scoring video games? Because it's sort of a, it, it almost seems like a, a natural progression in one way, but in another you look at it and it's like, wow, that's kind of a, that, that's a totally different genre. Right. Well, there's sort of two answers to that, because I did briefly score video games in the mid-90s when I worked for Philips Interactive, a friend of mine. Um, actually, the same friend who helped me get get the gig working for Mike Post and B. Carpenter. Um, he was a, a producer at Philips, and they had their own hardware system, which didn't last very long, but they were making these games. So I did score a few games in the mid-'90s, um, including one game, which was, was the, may have been the first game that ever had an orchestral score, which was which is kind of a cool bit of nerdy history. But um, really, it was in 2004 when um, just serendipitously, I had an agent, not my current agent, but a, an agent at the time who sent my resume over to THQ, which was a big publisher at the time. Oh, yeah. THQ, uh, no longer in business, but uh, they were, they, so, she, so the resume was sent, was sent over on a fax machine. In 2004, fax machines were still, <laughs> for anybody, who, some of your, some people may not even know what a fax machine is. Oh, but in any event, it's a piece of paper got printed on their end, and one of the uh, uh, one of the um, executives there saw my saw my saw the fax, not my fax from my agent, saw my name on it, and said, "I know him." And it was like my girlfriend's roommate from college was now an executive at THQ, and she helped me, you know, get introduced to THQ, and they're making a game called Destroy All Humans. Oh yeah, I love that game. I played the heck out of that one. There you go. So <laughs> that was really sort of my emergence into sort of the contemporary scene of scoring. Uh, they wanted, uh, you know, well, you know what the game is about, the sort of sci-fi. Mars, kind of like a Mars Attacks, yeah. Exactly, exactly, you know. And they were like um, modeling the score on like the old movie from the 50s, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, which had which had a very famous score for us composers, anyways, by a guy named Bernard Herrmann, mm -hmm. who was you know, uh, if, if, 
An icon. Know Bernard Herman was. Do you know who? Okay, so you know Bernard Herman. So, uh, so I had some Bernard Herman music, uh, some ish stuff that I had written in the style that style, and they loved it. So they hired me for that, and um, and that was really the start of. And and, I, and and was really I was not a gamer. So all of a sudden, I was like, I started getting into the game. I go, wow, this is really cool. I was really <laughs> clueless. You know, wow, you can actually do whatever you want now. This is not Pong. You know, so I was really kind of pretty out of it in terms. And, and then I was like really taken aback by how cool it was. And the op- creative, creatively, it was really fun. And the and television, which I'd been doing a lot of in the 90s, had had become lower and lower budget so you didn't get live orchestras anymore but all of a sudden with uh, games that they had they had plenty of budget for a live orchestra which i love writing orchestral music so it was it, i just i got the bug and so i just immediately started focusing real wise and had my agent really focus on it and went to gdc the game developers conference and but but the best thing was the lady who was the audio director, audio lead on Destroy Humans, Emily Ridgway, went to Irrational Games in Boston to make a game called Bioshock, mm-hmm. which which she said, we got to hire Gary Scheinman, which was, thank you, Emily. And so uh, that was, of course, a breakthrough game, and it was a real opportunity for me and um, won some awards for that. And so that really established me and gave me a lot of opportunities. Well, and one thing I wanted to ask you about, because um, I, I, we've not had a lot of composers on the show, surprisingly enough, and I, 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 I want to rectify that, and because and, I love picking the brains of people that are involved with the different parts of, of creating, um, you know, all the, all the bits. And one thing about games that I find would have to be different is, a way of making because most of them have like a repetitive nature to the music like you keep you hear the same music a lot and what's a way of of how do you do um how do you create where it's not an annoying repetition that's because there's games out there i cannot stand playing them because the music is just so grating after a while but scores like bioshocks and uh, you know uh, the Mordor games. You you've managed to create something beautiful that I don't mind listening on repeat. Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, it depends on the style of the game. Obviously, the more casual games tend to have less music and less budget, and therefore what they tend to do is they they produce. They have a composer, or maybe they even you know, licensed music that, that are loops. A loop is a piece of music that kind of seamlessly keeps playing itself and you can't quite, quite tell where the end is and where the beginning is. But that, yeah, you repeat that, you know, 30 or 40 times and you're going to be annoyed just out of your mind, no matter how good the music is. And some of the music is quite good and some of it's not so good either. You know, so the, I think the secret is, just, just in, as in a film, if you had a film that just had nonstop looped music, you, that way it would be awful. So the, the, the secret is not to have too much music and then to have the budget uh, to, to write a lot of music. So, for instance, in Shadow of War, which I, I just finished, um, I wrote two and a half hours of music, and then there's an in-house composer, Nathan Grigg, who also wrote a couple of hours of music. So we wrote a huge amount of music, four and a half hours of music. So that helps if you're constantly hearing new music. It's not 
and, and that's appropriate and specifically written for the area that you're in. So that and I think with Bioshock, Bioshock, if you when you play Bioshock, if you're if you conscious of the music, if you think about it, it really it, there's not a ton of music. There's only around 70 minutes of music, and so and it doesn't loop. It, 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 um, so because of that, and, and Emily did a great job as the audio director on that. She she didn't want wall to wall music, just in really strategic places where the music could have a real impact, you know. And I think I think so. All those strategies can help the, the music fatigue, where you're just sort of burned out by the repetitive nature of a loop that you know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh no, totally. That and and that's the thing with Bioshock is it's supposed to be more about being isolated in a way so the quiet adds to it if music comes in a strategic uh, you like when you enter a new level in bioshock you'll hear what we call reveals so there'd be like one or two pieces of music that's just sort of set the mood for that level and then there'd be other um, more ambient pieces that would come in occasionally but they weren't too busy and they would just create some sort of dark eerie vibe and then there'd be specific pieces of music for special like events when you know uh cohen's masterpiece plays when the cohen sander cohen is uh, um, you know blows up the pianist <laughs> mine by the way is to blow up the pianist <laughs> just kidding i'm kidding but um <clears throat> it, only if they're bad but um and it so that i mean so i think the secret is really well thought out scores and really good people you know implementing the music and etc well and the one thing i wanted to ask is in regards to the uh, the mordor games is that the music of the lord of the rings films is so embedded in people's minds um how do you you know how do you piggyback off of that or do you even try to um in terms of scoring because you do such a beautiful orchestral score for that game uh, and but you know people always are gonna because they're just embedded now. It's just part of our psyche that the Peter Jackson films. Is there is, right. is it hard for you as another composer to come along and, and come into that into that um, mythos? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, in this in the instance of the Mortar games, I had not been a big Lord of the Rings film fan. So I had only seen one of the movies, so I was not terribly familiar with Howard Shore's uh, scores, which he's won. He won like I don't know two or three Academy Awards, some something amazing. But I was not. So so I was I, I was not imitating his music at all. So I had I had sort of like the the fresh ear, shall we say, to not um, not being familiar, and I avoided listening to his music. Uh, for those scores so that I wouldn't be, you know, trying to imitate it. Mm -hmm. So one way to avoid, you know, that is by not knowing what they did. Nice. (laughs) That's a good good answer. (laughs) Hear no evil, do no evil, I don't know, whatever the three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil. So that's really, I think, that was the secret. So then I could just be... And because this game, which was really the, one of the cool things about Shadow of Mordor, now Shadow of War, it's it's based on the Lord of the Rings. It's totally based on that world, but they have unique stories behind them. So we weren't um, playing off of the, um, the the films. Some of the 
previous um, Lord of the Ring games really were just from the films. They, t- they took a film and they took the plot of the film and they built a game around it. This was from the ground up a unique Lord of the Rings story. So that's a, an advantage too. Nice. So um, I know I, I, I don't want to be for very much longer, but I, I have uh, I have a couple of fan questions. Also, I wanted to, to say something. You made me cry really, really badly with the Where the Hell is Matt music. Like, oh, that was you. so beautiful, and the whole concept was so amazing. And I, I don't know if, if our listeners um, remember that or not. Some people may not, but it just stuck with me. It was some of the most beautiful stuff, and it just was so joyous, and I loved, I loved it. So, well done, you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I'll just tell you just a quick story. That happened because of video games. Because Matt was, when, when I met him, he, he was no longer, but he had been working for, uh, on Destroy All Humans. Oh. And I met him at E3, at the Destroy All Humans booth. So that's how I met, and, and obviously it has nothing to do with video games. It's a song, and it's, it's Matt does this fun, goofy dance. And, and uh, so that was, uh, but that was, you know, just still related to sort of serendip- serendipitous opportunity to meet someone who happened to be making something he liked my music and he invited me to be a part of it that's amazing um so fan questions um i know i'm gonna get beaten if i don't ask these so i have two for you and one is from probably one of the biggest bioshock fans i know whose name is draven and he um he eats lives sleeps and breathes bioshock this is his thing and he wanted to know what inspired you for the Bioshock score. Oh well, uh, Deadline. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't pay me if I didn't produce the music. No, I don't. I don't, I'm, I don't mean to be flippant. You know, I have <laughs> actually been asked before what what does uh, you know inspire me, and I have answered seriously Deadline, meaning that you, one of the things you know I think. Um, uh, song songwriters tend to at least uh, tend not all of them, but you know they're in, they, they write a song when they're inspired to write it. But when you're writing a score, whether it's for a film or a television show or a game, is you have you do have a deadline looming, and you have to produce music. So when okay, but but the advantage of that is is that it really focuses you. You so I mean I I actually spent about four to six weeks thinking very deeply about what the Bioshock music could be, experimenting, sending things over to Emily Ridgway, the audio director, and she would very politely say, no, that's the wrong direction. That's really nice, but that's the wrong direction. Or that's getting closer or whatever. And then one day I was experimenting around with some really dark and kind of eerie ideas, but I started trying to put some solo uh, strings over them, like a solo violin or a solo cello, using samples, not real instruments at the time. Later on, they got replaced by real players. And I thought, this is really cool. This is really intriguing. And I sent that to Emily, and she said, yes, that's the Bioshock sound. So it really was thinking intensely, having the deadline, because I, I, it wasn't something like, wow, I'm not coming up with it. I guess I'll, I won't think about it for another month or two. No, I had to really work hard at it. And when you do work really hard at something and focus on it, the ideas come. Really, that—that's really. I think, I think you would find that to be true of any person who writes music or writes a, a book or whatever. You, you, you have to you, you push yourself to to really 
to do it. And so, so I think I don't know if that answers the question, but that's the that's really the best answer I have. Oh, no, as a writer, I I totally I, I, it's one of those things. If you if you force it, to me at least, if you force it, it it feels bad and it doesn't flow well. And sometimes it, you right up into the last minute, you get you you get kicked in the head with with the inspiration for it, and that's what it does. Yeah. and then you go, aha! I said, oh my god, that's it, and it's and it's a, and that's a pretty exciting feeling actually. You're, you're all by yourself maybe, but it's like wow, this this is this is it, and and it's really a nice feeling. It is, and then you go, oh my god, I've only got twelve hours to do. This. <laughs> So, and the, uh, the last question is from Jessica McHugh and she says, my husband, Dave and I are curious if you used atypical instruments or real world items to create the Bioshock score. Yes. Well, especially the original Bioshock, uh, I used, um, I found unusual, sounds and I included them. There was this technique developed by French composers in the 1940s and 50s called musique concrète. Um, it was fancy. You know, it, it just means concrete music. But uh, <laughs> what it was, it t- they took real-world sounds and they created montages. So it might be the sound of a train or a car or a breaking glass or whatever, and they'd create these sound montages. So I... Tr- I, I I can't say that the score for Bioshock was music concrete, but I included like really unusual, non-typical um, instruments, and, and including like the, the, the sounds of, of uh, uh, a person's breath. You know, I mm-hmm. actually found a website where this doctor had recorded the, the breathing patterns of his very sick patients. He was he treated lung patients, and and so I took some of these really kind of scary sounding. Barrel people really struggling to breathe and incorporated them. I found really unusual instruments that I made out of machines because there's a level on Bioshock where you're kind of uh, in the in the part of the world of Rapture where they actually you know produce electricity or steam or heat or whatever. And so I used sounds of machines and I created like percussion instruments out of them. So I really did do a lot of that in the original Bioshock game, a little less so in the later in Bioshock 2, but some of that. But, uh, yeah, I I did, and it was really an interesting thing to do and experiment with. That is insane. That is cool as hell. Um, So I want want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find your work and find you online as well, Um, because I know it's the – more the uh, shadow of war is coming very very soon i know people are very excited about that so we're october, october 10th where can they find you online gary perfect do you have a twitter or anything <laughs> by coincidence yes it is shy musica s-c-h-y-m-u-s-i-c-a at, at, on twitter yeah, on Twitter, yes, and I have very few followers, so follow me because I, to be honest, I've been a, a poor Twitter person, a poor Twitterer. <laughs> I haven't been t- tweeting enough, and everyone's telling me I got to tweet more. You have so to. I'm going to really more. try to tweet more interesting stuff. Nice, and, and well, and we will put people towards you. We'll send people your way for sure. Cool. Well, cool. Th- that's great. 
That's great. But my website, there's two R's in Gary. So, and I, there's my music up there and, and news and things like that. So, um, and, and I think people will love Shadow of War. Shadow of War is, is really, if you, if you, if you really enjoy it, Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War will, just, just don't, just quit your job for a month or take it, take a month off. I know people that do that. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a huge game. You're going to need a month to play this game properly. Awesome. Well, Gary, thank you so much. This has been fantastic, and we'd love to have you back when you got another project or something or you just want to sh- just want to chat. 